Hi, I'm Annika Zitto. And I'm Bella Burkhardt. And you're listening to Spilling the Tea with CCE. We're so glad that you decided to click on our podcast, and we promise you won't be disappointed. Located in Hempstead, New York, Hofstra's Center for Civic Engagement is committed to getting student voices heard right now. And that mission doesn't stop on Long Island. We want this podcast to continue the conversations we've been having on campus. Each episode features our student fellows as they spill the tea on everything from news and politics to social movements and the issues that affect our day-to-day lives. From healthcare to mental health, nothing is off the table. So sit back, relax, and let's start spilling the tea. Hello and welcome back. For those of you who don't know, CCE is a university institute designed to educate students in democratic values by actively engaging them as knowledgeable citizens through collaborative partnerships with their campus, local, state, national, and global communities. This podcast was created out of a desire to continue pursuing these goals while social distancing in the COVID-19 pandemic. Every episode, a pair of fellows or a fellow and potentially guests will discuss a topic of importance to them. My name is Alexis Hughes. I am a senior graduating in one month, and I am a sociology and rhetoric and public advocacy double major. And today, we'll be talking about English, the English language, the standardization of the English language, and how this language has been used as an unfair test of intelligence for people who may not speak English as well, or who speak English with an accent, or for whom English is not their first or even their second language. The standardization of English as a test of intelligence is not something new. This has been a recurring theme in most higher institutions. When you get to Hofstra, you're forced to prove your English proficiency. I had to take a test of English as a foreign language to prove that I could speak English properly, despite living in countries which taught predominantly in English. But this is a pretty common occurrence for people who are either international students or who just do not grow up speaking English or who don't learn English until they get to school. In my case, I did not learn English until I got to school. I started school around five or six kindergarten in the U.S., in New Jersey. But before that, I had only spoken Spanish as well as my own language, which is tree from Ghana. So in my household, we spoke tree, but we also spoke Spanish once in a while because we did have a lot of Hispanic influence in the area that we lived in. And because of that, I did not speak English until I you know, got to school and was taught how to speak English. And that proved to have a lot of consequences. Maybe consequences isn't the right word, but it had a lot of implications. When I was a college freshman, I had just moved to the U.S. after living in West Africa for six years. I spoke with a heavy accent and I made a lot of grammatical errors just because, you know, English was not my first language and I was just not as used to speaking English as I was to speaking my own native language. Like 743 million other non-native English speakers who live in the U.S., English is my second language. Like I mentioned before, I grew up speaking Tree, which is a dialect of the Akan tribe in Ghana, and Spanish. And I didn't learn English until I got to school. And while I did manage to pick up the language relatively quickly, you know, compared to some of my other peers and my siblings and other people who did not grow up speaking English, I watched as a lot of other kids struggled with, you know, some of the basics of the language. Like, for example, 
the difference between the three theirs. And I saw people struggling with this. I saw them struggling with one-on sentences and, you know, how to position punctuation properly. You know, just basic things that you learn when you're younger, when you're just getting into the education system. Fast forward to sixth grade where we were assigned reading groups based on our English proficiency. And my best friend who had just moved back to the States from India and also spoke English as a second language was placed in the lower reading group, coincidentally, along with a majority of the non-native non-white accent wielding 11 and 12 year olds in my class which I thought was very interesting because you know there was no official test to determine whether or not they were proficient in the language they were just kind of just shoved into that lower level reading group and so was I and I like to think that at 11 12 I had a pretty, you know, strong grasp on English speaking and writing. I mean, I'd won numerous writing contests at that point in time. So I think I could write pretty well. But regardless of that, they still stuck me in a lower level reading group. So I remember at lunchtime, all of us lower level readers were discussing, you know, what had happened in the class before about how we had all ended up in this group and we were reading a pretty like basic boring book or just something that was not very academically challenging for us. And one of my friends, my best friend who had just moved back from India, the one I mentioned before, she said that the teacher had told her that her English was bad, but they had been taught entirely in English in her school in India because it was a British international school. And I think that was my first obvious encounter with this hegemonic structure that is the English language. That was the first time that I was like, wow, what's going on, (laughs) right? So language is our arguably the most important aspect of communication studies. According to linguist John McWhorter, language, more specifically human language, refers to the grammar and other rules and norms that allows humans to make utterances and sounds in a way that others can understand. Verbal and nonverbal communication, gestures, and significant symbols all make up what we have come to know now as language. But I believe problems arise when one language is used as the standard for communication, in this case, English. English gestures and language are not inherent to non-native English speakers, and I think that is something that people who do speak English natively fail to understand when communicating with others who don't. There are so many phrases and like non-verbals and cues that only a native English speaker would be able to understand And when we consider the multicultural nature of the U.S., it is so clear that in a nation where 44.8 million of us are immigrants, the standardization of English is ridiculously harmful. This problem is made even graver by the sheer number of Americans who are negatively affected by this. First-generation Americans whose parents taught them their native tongue, such as myself, inherently suffer in the American educational system and are taught through this same education system that Western languages are superior to any other native language. When you go to school, at least in all the schools in New Jersey and Ohio that I went to, we were taught in English, obviously, but all of our elective languages were also other Western languages. Most of them were Romance languages. So you would learn English and you would have the option to learn French or Spanish or Italian, right? And all of those languages, because they are all Western languages, just further reinforce this idea that Western culture 
and culture includes language. So Western culture as a whole is inherently superior to other cultures or other languages that exist around the world. Students who speak fluent English with foreign accents are forced to regularly prove their English proficiency, which is something that I went through a lot. I was always being forced to prove my proficiency in English. And although I still speak with a slight accent, I still get like comments about my accent, people telling me, you know, you don't sound like you can speak properly or the usual, you speak English so well, like that's so amazing. I mean, (laughs) obviously I speak English well. I've been speaking it for the majority of my life. And, you know, little microaggressions like that are just very telling and just showcase this hegemonic structure of language. Workers are judged sometimes solely on their ability to speak English properly. And I say properly with air quotes because speaking English properly is so subjective. And I've noticed that people who speak accented English are often accused of not speaking English properly when most times that is not the case. They're just speaking with an accent that Americans and Westerners just, they don't understand. They don't understand the accent. And so to them, it sounds like someone is not speaking properly, but that is usually not the case. I thought this would be interesting to talk about the fact that there is a common discourse in academia that people who speak multiple languages, people who are multilingual, are more intelligent than people who speak one language. And I think that's interesting to bring up because a majority of Americans only speak English. And since a majority of Americans only speak English, it's kind of hypocritical, I think, for these same Americans to turn around and point a finger at someone who speaks two, three, four other languages in addition to English and tell them that they don't speak properly or that they're less intelligent because their English is broken or their English is accented. I think it's very disturbing for one because to be able to learn multiple languages, you have to have a certain level of intellect. I mean, that sentiment alone seems to nullify the assumption that people who don't speak English well are inherently less intelligent. That's simply not true. And it's honestly a very disgusting and hurtful rhetoric that has been pushed. Barriers to intercultural and cross-cultural communication are all but uncommon. Non-native English speakers who excel in other sectors of the labor force, such as the medical field, are subsequently left out in the cold despite their clear qualifications. Hiring managers seek people who speak English fluently as opposed to someone who may have better credentials but doesn't speak English as well. And this leaves a lot of non-native Native English speakers, a lot of immigrants searching for jobs and not being able to get hired simply because of their lack of grasp on the English language. Like I mentioned before, certain nonverbals and vocal inflections tend to get lost in translation when a non-native English speaker encounters them, and the translation gap could be bridged with more multilingual politicians in office. Now, finding solutions to this issue is the most difficult part. Technically, the U.S. does not have an official language, but the prevalence of English in education and commerce and within the government says the exact opposite, telling us non-native English speakers that we must speak English or we are less American or not as American as people who speak English more fluently. Non-native English speakers are chastised in public and told to speak English because you are in America. Foreign students who wish to study subjects unrelated to the English language but who cannot grasp the essentials of English grammar can be unfairly denied entry into tertiary institutions. In order to go about solving this problem, we first need to understand that an individual's English proficiency is not a test of 
of their inherent intelligence. Albert Einstein is a great example. And I love that example because he is one of the greatest physicists and scientists of all time. That's an indisputable fact. Nobody can say Albert Einstein is dumb. But Albert Einstein did not speak English. He did not speak English fluently. He was not even born in the US. I'm struggling to remember where he grew up and lived, but I think he spoke German. He did try to learn English, but he never really learned it before he died. But regardless of his inability to, to speak the language, his intelligence can't be disputed. So his lack of English proficiency is not brought up when Einstein's ideas are taught in classrooms. And this sentiment should be propagated for every single non-native English speaker. Additionally, institutions, specifically educational institutions, have to curtail the culture of judging individuals based on their ability to communicate in English. People who speak with accents should not be faulted for their pronunciation. It isn't incorrect, it's simply different. And it is imperative that we remember that the English language varies all over the world. And non-native English speakers who learn English in their home countries are often taught to speak it differently than native Western English speakers. Although I only have anecdotal experience concerning the sphere of education, the use of English as a test of intelligence permeates health communications as well. The flow of information between doctor and patient is imperative to the success of the health industry. However, with barriers to healthcare being particularly stringent, non-native English speakers suffer significantly within the healthcare system. Studies show that individuals who don't speak English fluently are likely to return to the emergency room, making the standardization of English potentially de detrimental to health and wellness. Obviously, this is the most extreme example but it could result in death, which is already disturbing enough. Within the realm of strategic and political communication, interpreting other foreign intelligence officials who may not speak fluently or at all becomes difficult. Information is easily misconstrued, and the lack of ESL individuals in high-level government positions is ridiculously concerning. With all the issues that I've mentioned, it's clear to see that the standardization of English and using English as some sort of test of intelligence is detrimental to people who don't speak English natively or people who have English as a second or third or fourth language. All of these implications are only going to negatively impact people who are trying to enter the educational field, the commerce sector of the economy, whatever aspect it is, it doesn't really matter because English is so ubiquitous. It permeates every single aspect of our society. This idea of English equating to intelligence only further exacerbates the issue of non-native English speakers not being able to break into the American societal world. With that being said, I hope that I've been able to engage you guys in this topic. I know that this is not a topic that's frequently spoken about, but this is something that I've been studying for a couple of years now. I'm going to link an essay in the description so if anybody wants to do some further reading, please go ahead, please educate yourself, and please try and unlearn this idea. Thank you so much for listening. If you're interested in continuing the conversation or learning more about Hofstra's Center for Civic Engagement, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Hofstra CCE, or visit our website, hofstra.edu CCE. That concludes this episode of Spilling the Tea with CCE. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to connect with us on our social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Hofstra CCE, or visit our website at hofstra.edu slash CCE. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, be sure to tweet us with the hashtag CCET.
That's hashtag C-C-E-T-E-A. The music you've heard this episode was written and composed by Ethan Tauber. Fun fact, it even includes the chord progression C, C, and D. We can't wait for you to join us again on our next episode. Thanks for spilling the tea with CCE.